When they heard this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. These are the words that follow this amazing encounter between Jesus and the Pharisees and Herodians. They were amazed. But why were they amazed when they came only to do one thing, and that is entrap Jesus? They come to trap him in his speech, and they leave amazed. As we move along in the drama of Jesus' life and what's taking place in his life, we've already seen the leaders of the Israelite people, they're coming to kill Jesus. And now they come to entrap him in his speech because he's already called them out on their disobedience and their neglect of the people of God. And so they're angry, they're plotting, they're seeking any way they can find a way to kill him. They're trying to get Jesus to slip up, say something that will accuse himself and give them reason, justify their reasoning for punishing him and killing him. But the Pharisees, as we heard, they were too scared to go themselves, so they sent their disciples Then they take along with them the Herodians. Now, the Herodians were a group of people who were, let's just say, supportive of the Roman occupation. So in Israel, in the land of Israel, the Romans conquered them, and they were the people in charge. And the Herodians were people who said, we're okay with you being here. They weren't Romans themselves. But the Jews, on the other hand, they hated the Romans because they were pagans in control of their land, the land promised to them by God. And so now they bring with them people who support the Roman people whom they hate. An enemy of an enemy is a friend, the saying goes. And then they proceed to ask Jesus, is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? You see, their trap lies in seeking Jesus to answer in one of two ways, yes or no. If he, if he blanketly answers yes, then he would lose favor with the Jews. He'd be a traitor. He'd be someone who sympathizes with the Roman occupation. If he answers no, well, then the Herodians are going to go back to the Roman people and report him. This guy's trying to lead a revolt against the tax. An apparent catch-22. But you should never try to outsmart Jesus. That's never a good idea. And so Jesus asked them for a coin that pays the census tax, and the coin was called a denarius. And Jesus asked them, whose image is this, and whose inscription is upon this coin? Now, a little background for us. On the coins, during the time of Christ, there was an image of Caesar on it, just like we have the image of presidents upon our money. There was also an inscription written on it, just like we have in God we trust. But on their coin it said this, Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. You may ask, what does that mean? Well, the Roman people 
two leaders before them had exalted them, Julius Caesar and Augustus. They exalted them to a divine status. They considered them to be divine persons. They considered them to be gods. And so now, not only does this coin have a graven image, which is forbidden in Exodus, but now it has an inscription calling Caesar basically the son of God. Does that sound familiar? And so within this context, Jesus replies, or pay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. But see, the question of whose image and whose inscription is this has a much, much deeper meaning. Because when he asks the question, whose image, he uses a specific word. He says, whose icon? In Greek, he literally says, whose icon is on this coin? They answer, Caesar's. And so insofar as it has the icon of Caesar, then it belongs to Caesar. So the standard by which something belongs to a person is whose image it bears. Now, if you're a disciple of the Pharisees, put yourself in their their shoes, and you hear that word icon, image, it should take you all the way back to Genesis in the first book of Genesis when we hear these words. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. In other words, let us make man in our icon. Our Lord Jesus Christ is saying, you can give your money to Caesar, but your life, your life which bears the image of God, your being which is an icon of the creator, You who are creating the image and likeness of God, this you must give to God and to God alone. When they heard this, they were amazed. So what were they amazed at? They were amazed at the truth that they had forgotten, the truth that they bore the image of God. They lost the idea, the truth of who they were. Not only who they were, but whose they were. They forgot they had belonged to God. My brothers and sisters, in our, in our culture and society today, we're drowned by the language of rights. My rights, my rights, my rights. Everyone is talking about rights. And it's good that we have rights, rights as human persons, but how often we fail to talk about our duties, what we ought to do. For some reason, no one ever talks about duties. I think that's because to talk about our duties means that we must be selfless rather than selfish. My rights, my rights, my rights. And because of this, I think that we lose a fundamental truth about who we are and what we are called to do. You see, we've forgotten the idea of duty. 
But just like it is our duty to give to Caesar what is Caesar, it is our duty to give to God what belongs to God. Just as it is our duty to give to Caesar what bears his image, so it is our duty to give to God what bears his image and likeness, and that is you and I. I think it's no coincidence that we often approach Sunday Mass, we often approach a life of discipleship as a burden because somehow we think that it interferes with our rights, but how often we fail to know our duties. Because what if we approached every Sunday Mass? What if we approached a life of faith? What if we approached discipleship, discipleship of Jesus with the words we hear every Sunday? It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation. Giving our lives to God fully, making our life a sacrifice to God is right. That is, it's just, it's properly ordered, it's good. Giving our lives to God is just. It's actually giving to God what it's his right. We talk about our rights. What about God's rights? Giving to him which is his due. Because we have been given life that bears his image. He created us in his image and likeness. Giving our lives to God, making our lives a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, is our duty. It's what we ought to do by the very nature that we have been given life that we did not deserve, that we did not merit, but it's an utter gift, a gift that bears the image of God. And upon this image of God, there's an inscription, and it says, you are my son, you are my daughter. You are mine. You belong to me. My brothers and sisters, our life is not our own. We belong to the Father. Giving our lives to God, making our lives a living sacrifice is truly our salvation. It's the means by which we make it to that heavenly homeland which we long for, for which Christ bore the cross. Every Mass, when we pray the preface, the priest invites us all to lift up your hearts. In other words, offer your life to God. Give your life to God. What's our response? We lift them up to the Lord. What we're really saying is, I offer my life to you, Lord. Do you? Are those words true? Do you mean those words? I offer my life to you. When you leave this church, do those words still reign true? My life belongs to God. Our brothers and sisters, we bear the image of God, the God who created the universe. Our brothers and sisters, we are an icon of God. 
When people see us, do they see God? Because of this amazing truth that you and I belong to God, let us renew today the gift of ourselves. Let us renew today with that fundamental truth given to us by Jesus Christ that we bear the image of God, that we belong to God, that we are His. Let us renew giving our life to Him because it is truly right and just, because it is our duty, and it is our salvation.